Boker Tov, everyone. Welcome to the Aliyah Day. This is the conclusion of our week. It is prep day, about to go into the Shabbat, praise God, where we can have music. Almost sang again. <laughs> you can tell it's getting close to the Sabbath. I catch, I catch myself uh, almost singing. But anyway, uh, we're going to light the candles. And the instant the candles are lit, the very moment that happens... At the very flash of flame that hits that candle, the Bluetooth is coming on. It's gonna be, it's gonna go down just like that. Now I'm gonna be on standby, and when the ladies light the candles, Rabbi is gonna push play. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, <clears throat> you know, um, kudos to. Rachel, who suggested uh, in these times of silence just to put on some natural sounds like bird singing, you know, uh, in my office, typically I like to have a little music, instrumental music playing in the background while I'm in my office, uh, various genres, but instrumental, I don't, I can't do lyrics while I'm working, just that's just me personally, but, but I, having complete silence is like, wow, so, um, she made a suggestion. It was I'm so thankful. So I've been listening to. Uh, I have a uh, nature sounds like birds, and uh, <clears throat> you know brooks and streams running, or whatever like uh, jungle noises. And uh, it's been great. That's that's a real blessing. At least I'm just listening to birds singing. You know whatever or just chirping, uh, or frogs. You know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> at least it's not quiet. But I'm ready for some music. Who's with me? Welcome. This is the sixth and seventh Aliyah of um, of Devarim. Also, have an announcement I want to say to everybody. Um, I've you know we're, we're, we've been doing the um, uh, journey through Genesis, and it's been just wonderful, just wonderful. Um, <clears throat> and now we're in the the talking about Yosef, which is just amazing. In fact, I'm so looking forward to this uh, Shabbat's drosh. I'm going to need everybody to sign a hold harmless waiver. Uh, if you are injured through uh, excitement uh, of what you're, what you're going to hear in the drosh, or if, uh, if your neighbor uh, is excited and flings their arms and hits you, um, causes damage, um, if you get up and run around the sanctuary and trip and fall, I'm going to need you to sign a hold harmless Waiver, even for you people at home, I don't want anybody to blame me for um, what you're going to hear. But I was thinking about next year. You know, I like, I like to do thematic things. Um, this dates back to 2015 when I began doing that. And I, I, in 2015, we did uh, uh, Mid, Midrash, Moshe, and Messiah. And uh, that was off the Tali. But I think this next year... <clears throat> I am going to do a year through Exodus, a year uh, through Exodus. So I'll come up with a catchy title for that, maybe Bezrat Hashem. But anyway, um, there are 40 chapters in the book of Exodus. There's 1,213 verses, and there are 48 weeks of uh, Parashot next year uh, because you have uh, festival Shabbats and so on. So, and, and there's double portion. So anyway, I went through them and counted. There's actually 48 weeks. 
So we're going to divide 40 chapters, 1,213 verses through 48 parashot next year, and we're going to do a, a walk through Exodus, which is kind of fun because the Exodus actually, when it came time for Moses to, to come to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, from the time he said that to the time that we actually left Egypt was actually 12 months. So um, that'll be great, I think. It'll be great to walk through Exodus for a year as we've walked through the book of, of, of Genesis. And that's going to be our theme next year. And so you heard it here first. So welcome, everybody. Let's get to our reading. And uh, we're going to be on page 953, chapter 2, beginning in verse 31. And it says this, <clears throat> Adonai said to me, See, I have begun to deliver you before Sihon and his land begin to drive out to possess his land. <clears throat> Sihon went out towards us, he and his entire people for battle, to Jehaz. Adonai our God gave him before us, and we smote him and his sons and his entire people. We captured all his cities at that time, and we destroyed every populated city, with the women and small children, we did not leave a survivor. Only the animals did we loot for ourselves, and the booty of the cities we captured. From Aror, which is by the shore of Arnon Brook, and the city that is by the brook, and until Gilead, there was no city that was too strong for us. Adonai our God gave everything before us. Only to the land of the children of Amnon, Ammon did you not draw near. Everywhere near Jabbok Brook and the cities of the mountains and everywhere that Adonai our God commanded us. Chapter 3. We turned and ascended by way of Bashan and Og king of Bashan went out towards us, he and his entire people for war at Edri. Adonai said to me, do not fear him, for in your hand have I given him and his entire people and his, hand, and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon king of the Amorite who dwells in Heshbon. Adonai our God gave into our hand also Og, king of the Bashan, and his entire people, and we smote him until no survivor was left of him. We captured all his cities. At that time, there was no city that we did not take from them, 60 cities in the entire region of Argog. The kingdom of Og and the, and the Bashan, all these were fortified cities with high wall, doors, and bar, aside from open cities, very, very many. We destroy them as we did to Sihon, king of Heshbon, destroying every populated city, the women and the small children, and all the animals and the booty of the city we looted for ourselves. And at that time, we took the land from the hand of the two kings of the Amorite that were on the other side of the Jordan from Arnon Brook to Mount Hermon. Sidonians would refer to Hermon at Sirion. And the Amorites would call it Senir. All the cities of the plain, the entire Gilead, the entire Bashan until Selak and Edri, the cities of the kingdom of Og and the Bashan. For only Og, king of the Bashan, was left of the remaining Rephaim. Behold, his bed was an iron bed, and Rabbah, the children of Amnon, nine cubits was his length, and four cubits width by the cubit of that man. And... We possessed that land at that time for Aror, which is by Arnon Brook, and half the mountain of Gilead and its cities that I give to Reubenite and the Gedite. The rest of the Gilead and the entire Bashan, the king of Og, did I give to half the tribe of Manasseh, the entire region of Argov, of the entire Bashan that is called the land of Rephaim. Jair, son 
of Manashe took the entire region of Argov until the border of Geshurite and the Machathite and named them the Bashite after himself, Havoth Jair, until this very day. This is now the seventh Aliyah. To Makir I give to the Gilead, to the Reubenite, the Gedite, I gave from Gilead until Arnon Brook, the midst of the brook, and the border until Jebek Brook, the border of the children of Ammon. And the Araba and the Jordan and its borders from Kinnereth and the Araba Sea, the Salt Sea, but below the waterfalls of the mountain eastward. I commanded you at that time, saying, Adonai, your God gave you this land for a possession. Arms shall you cross over before your brethren, the children of Israel, all the men of accomplishment, only your wives, small children, livestock. I know that you have abundant livestock, shall dwell in your cities that I have given you, until Hashem shall give you rest to your brethren like yourselves, and they too shall possess the land that Adonai, your God, gives them on the other side of the Jordan, then you shall return every man to his inheritance that I have given you. I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen everything that Adonai, your God, has done to these two kings. So will Adonai do to all the kings where you cross over. You shall not fear them, for Adonai, your God, you shall wage, he shall wage war for you. Amen. Uh, incidentally, I shared a insight on Facebook last night that I found I found uh, in a study last night. I want to share it here. Some of you have already seen it, I know, but some of you haven't. And I want to share this with you because it is, in my view, phenomenal. And here it is. So uh, I'm going to get to Mayam Loez because we, we're in Mayam Loez in the introduction to Devarium, and I have some things I want to share about the commandments in general. But when we get into the 40 days of Teshuva, um, it's, a, it's, a common, it's commonly known, it's commonly known that the, during the 40 days of Teshuva, that is known as the season in which the king is in the field. The king is in the field. Um, however, what I, we discovered last night in a study uh, was that there is actually another season in which we find the king in the field. And that's this season. These three weeks that we're finding ourselves in right now, which we have about another week left until Tisha B'Av. And the reason is because the destruction of the temple is like God tearing us down. So this time that we find ourselves in these three weeks is like a teardown mode. And the 40 days is a build-up mode. Now, I don't mean to belabor my little stories about boot camp, but um, I have a lot of fond memories of boot camp, as hard as it was. I actually was a lot of fond memories. I have a lot of fond memories in general of my tour of duty, but most of them revolve around training and things we went through. Um, so forgive me for belaboring it. I don't, I don't really mean to do that, but it is a good analogy. Not, and, and that is that, at least from my experience in, in basic training, I can't speak for all the branches because obviously I wasn't in them all, but, um, when you first get there, it's the hardest, it's the hardest part. Um, you know, the first week is, is challenging. It's, it's just culture shock. You know, um, 
the the hardest part is generally uh, for me it was the second week. I know uh, some people um, it might not be exactly the second week, but that doesn't matter. But anyway, it's called it's it, it's called when you get dropped. When you get dropped is when you get sent to your platoon. And that day, that day, that the, the day of, of, of being dropped, as we called it, um, is if you'll pardon the pardon the expression, utter hell. Uh, it, it was um, perhaps the worst day of my life. Um, it's probably the worst day of my life, <laughs> actually. Actually, uh, um, and and. And then you go through this process, though. The point I'm trying to make is you go through this process of, of tearing you down in that first phase. First phase is to tear you down, to take you from being a lackadaisical, lazy, mama boy, you know, uh, scared, timid, insecure, worthless civilian and turn you into a part of a unit um, that actually cares about the guy to your left and guy to your right and works as a team and gives you self-confidence. All that. But that's in, the, that's in the latter phases, uh, particularly the second and third phase. Well, and I, I liken that back to what we're going through now. Most people, this is the beauty of kind of what I was saying yesterday when I was encouraging you about, you know, I know that you, we all have something we're trying to work on. There's some mitzvah keeping. There's some part of our life that we're all trying to work on, and that's good. And we should never, we should be in ambition properly channeled is good. Okay. You should want that. But, or I should say, and I want to encourage you that what you're doing right now is amazing. You say, well, I just got started. I know. That's amazing. Why? Because you are part of a fraction of the human population that is even cognizant that the commandments even exist. So the fact that you're even giving it a try puts you into not the 1%, probably the tenth of a percent category. Now, as I mentioned last Shabbat, one rabbi very well known, said that in his estimation, 70 to 80 percent of Jews these days um, aren't even aware of the three weeks. They don't participate in it, in it at all. And Mikael said last night that he thinks that's pretty low. He, think, he, he, he would guess it's more than 90 percent, which he's probably not wrong about that. Okay. So guess what that means? That means that if, if you are where you are and you're doing anything to mourn the temple during these three weeks and you say, well, I know I, I just got started. I'm not even really 100% sure what it's all about, but I'm, I'm not listening to music and I haven't taken a haircut and I'm not trimming my beard or shaving or whatever, you know, or uh, women might say I'm not shaving my legs or whatever the case may be. You know, uh, I'm doing these things. Because I, I want the temple. If, if that's you, my goodness, now you're a fraction within that tenth of a percent of the human population. You're like an, uh, a, 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 a Marine uh, Raider. You're like a, a Navy SEAL. You're like a, what do the Army guys have? Green Beret. You're, you're like, uh, I don't know, did, did the Air Force have a special? I know the Air Force have a special forces. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. Uh, they do. They do. They do. You're whatever they're called. You're one of those guys. Uh, Shimon, what's the what's the uh, Shimon? Are you here? What's the Air Force Special Forces guys? You were a captain in the Air Force. Tell me what that is. All right. So you're like you're like Special Forces now. Vincent's paratrooper, is that what it is? Okay. You're like special forces, okay? And pararescue, Shimon. Pararescue, Brukoshim. All right. Those guys are part, I think they're part of, part of the song, are they? Um, or is it SOG or SOC? Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, so... So, this rabbi was saying that Tisha B'Av service is the least attended. Sock. Thank you, Shimon. I, I, I thought I said it wrong. Um, the least attended of all services in the shul is Tisha B'Av. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's pathetic. Why? Because... You know, we're in exile right now. We're not in our Holy Land. All these, basically all of life's problems are because of the destruction of the temple. The solution to our problems is the third temple coming, maybe soon in our time. Now, you say, well, the solution to your problem, see, this is why you Jews don't get it. The solution to your problem is you need Messiah. Hello, people. The third temple will come when Mashiach comes. It's a package deal. You know why? Because he's the temple. We're not mourning the destruction of the temple. And everybody focuses on the 40 days of Teshuvah leading up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is actually the 40th day. But, but that, that would be like going to boot camp and skipping the first phase and just doing the second and third phase. So you don't ever do the breakdown part, you just do the building up part. Which means what? You're building a foundation on top of a foundation that already exists. You're building a house on top of a house. First thing you have to do is tear down the old place and build a new place. That's what these three weeks are about. So... There are two times of year where the king is in the field, and this is the drop. When the Jewish people are exiled, the Shekinah, that is the divine presence, goes into exile as well, as it says in Megillah 29a. The Hasidic masters teach that during the three weeks, this exile is of a different, more pronounced nature. The, the Majid of Metzrik drew an analogy to a king who takes leave of his palace and goes out to the streets and marks markets to be among his subjects. When the king is in his palace, he is not easily accessible. But when he walks among the people, anyone can approach him and put forth his request. During the three weeks, God is likened to a king who has taken leave of his palace he is easily accessible, and he awaits the sincere request of his subjects that they be restored to their former glory. So the king is in the field twice. Once to 
here when we're being broken down and we come to him and we pour out our hearts and say, please restore us, please forgive us. We recognize that we're the problem. We recognize that we need to change. We recognize that, that, that all of this is our fault. And we want to be part of the solution now, not part of the problem. So we can approach the king and say, please answer us. Please hear our cry. Please show us what to do. And Hashem breaks us down. And then when the 40 days begin, he says, okay, now's the time for Teshuvah. I'm going to come back to the field. This time I'm going to let you approach me and I'm going to show you how to become that new person. The old is gone. The new is coming. It's dawning. Why? Because on Rosh Hashanah, there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a new birth. And then on Yom Kippur, we're going to renew the covenant together. And then I'm going to say, come into my sukkah, sit down and eat. Welcome, my good and faithful servant. Now, going to Ma'am Loez, keeping the commandments, there are 17 conditions to keeping the commandments. Condition number one. Condition number one. The commandment must be kept with intent. That's number one. For example, when a person sounds a shofar, he must have in his mind to fulfill God's command to hear the sound of the shofar. I, I know that the guys already do this. You know, we have a handful of guys who are capable of blowing the shofar and... And uh, they do that on Shabbat. But I want to encourage you that when you stand up to blow the shofar, when you're standing up there, you need to, it's really important to focus the intent. Hashem, when I sound the shofar, open our hearts. Let your voice speak to us. Blast out every impurity. Soak us with your voice. You need to have that in your mind. When you're about to sound the shofar, don't just get up there. And if you're somebody who blows a shofar, not officially, but you do so, you know, for whatever reason, you need to have, don't just go, oh, look, let me, let me sound this little horn. It sounds really cool. Let me, no, no. You need to really have that intention. Well, this applies to all the mitzvahs. Now it says, number two, a person must keep the commandment wholeheartedly with love and fear of God. Number three, when a person keeps a commandment, he must do so with great joy. Joy is a necessary requirement. Joy is a necessary requirement. Uh, Devorah asks, if there's no male in the home, can the woman sound the shofar? Yes, if there's no male in the home, a woman can sound the shofar. Just like if there's no woman in the home, a man can light the candles. Uh, in the shul uh, for Rosh Hashanah, yes, only men... Uh, blow the shofar. And by the way, the shofar cannot have, in order for it to be kosher for the sounding on Rosh Hashanah, it cannot have any decoration on it. It can't have any painting, any, you know, some of the shofar wrote that people have, they have uh, metal decor or they're painted. Those are not kosher, not for Rosh Hashanah. It has to be a plain horn, you know. Uh, but anyway, <coughs> I digress. So you have to keep keep the commandments with joy. It has to be joyful. If you if you're doing it with drudgery, um, it's not good. 
If a person has the opportunity to keep a commandment, he should do it completely and not allow another person to complete it. Why? Because the person who completes the mitzvah is the one who actually gets credit for it. Now, this is an analogy, this is an allusion, by the way, to life itself. It's not how you begin the race, it's how you finish the race. So people say, well, you know, uh, I've lived most of my life as a heathen, and now in my latter years, and I, I, I finally discovered the truth, and I feel bad. Don't feel bad. It's, it's not how you begin, it's how you finish. You get credit for the finish. It's like the old adage, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, you know. So, a person should keep the commandment as perfectly as possible with all its details and fine points. Number six, one should seek out to do good deeds and not wait for them to come to his hand. As it says in Psalm 119.32, I will run in the way of your commandments. King David said, when I have the opportunity to do a commandment, I will run in order to fulfill it. Number seven, a person should strive to keep the commandments with his own hand and not through an agent. Conversely, however, we see that our sages strove to keep the commandments of preparing the Sabbath by themselves, each one doing a certain amount of work with his own hands. Some would chop the wood to light the stove. Another would cut the meat. They would do this even though they had servants. So, so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you know, everybody, everybody in the family <coughs> should do something to prepare for Shabbat on, on preparation day. And, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, the man is at work most of the day. And so perhaps the one, more of the women are at home, maybe. And so they've done most of the preparation. But when the man gets home, he, you should do something. You should open the bottle of wine. You should pre-light the candles. You should um, uh, fill the, fill the hand-washing cup with water. There's something that you should do so that you can have a part to play in the mitzvah. And as it's saying here, the sages of old, uh, many of whom were, were wealthy, not all, but some of them were wealthy, and they actually had <coughs> servants. But they didn't leave the mitzvah up to their servants. Not entirely. Uh, it says, the, uh, number eight, the first commandment that comes to a person's hand, he should do first. <clears throat> and always remember that a commandment that a person might think is minor is likely very important in God's eyes. That's so true, and we, we need not, never forget that. That many of the mitzvahs that we think are just trivial, don't matter, God doesn't care what you eat. He, oh, man, he, should just, he could just care less. Yes, he does care. In fact, that's the most important. Think about that. The people that, if you talk to Christians, right, and, and I don't mean to pick on Christians, but, I mean, you know, that's, they read the Bible, so that just happens to be the people you find yourself talking to. They would just roll their eyes and scoff. God does not care. Oh, my goodness, he doesn't care what you eat. I mean, I've heard, if I've heard a Christian say that once, I've heard him say that 10,000 times. And yet, it's... The commandment not to eat something is what brought death and evil. All this rioting and evil and wickedness that you see in murder, <clears throat> you say, well, how can somebody murder a little child? Ladies and gentlemen, you know how that happened? It, it happened because God said, don't eat that, and we ate it. It's just that simple. <clears throat> 
So the things that we think are trivial and meaningless and God doesn't really care turned out to be the most important thing. It's a little bit like people that say they don't like to go to funerals. That's understandable. I mean, it's not like that's, I mean, it's natural. But here's the thing. Attending a funeral and honoring the dead is like one of the, mo one of the most important mitzvahs of all. But yet most people try to avoid it at all costs. It says, if a person has the opportunity of doing two commandments at once, he should not do them both together, but he should, because he won't be able to concentrate on them and you know, pay attention to their fine points, rather he should do one first and then the other. Number 10, in order that it should be counted that a person is keeping the commandments to perfection, he should not be lax when it comes to his hands. He should not say, for instance, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. If a person does not keep a commandment as soon as possible, it is also possible that he will die without keeping the commandment. Why? Because we're not guaranteed the next moment. Number 11, a person should wait and look forward and say, when will I be able to observe a commandment? Number 12, a person should make every observance as beautiful as possible. Thus, we should make the sukkah as beautiful as possible. We should make the the Sabbath table as beautiful as possible. We should make our tallit as beautiful as possible. We should dress up when we come to synagogue. We should look as beautiful as possible when we come to the synagogue. Number 13, a person should be diligent and keep the observance as early as possible. Number 14, a person should not keep the commandment without expense. Rather, it should cost you something. It was a beautiful story, by the way, about... Uh, you see, Robert E. Lee had a famous horse he rode whose name was Traveler. And it's a um, beautiful horse. It's the one that he's always sitting upon when they tear down the statue of one of the greatest men who's ever walked the soil of the United States. Um, such a shame. Such a shameful thing that we're doing. But anyway... Um, that horse belonged to someone, and he admired it so much, and he, he, he just thought it was a, just a wonderful horse. And so there's a story of the, the man who owned it tells the story, and he says, I actually offered it to General Lee because he loved it. He called the horse his, his little colt. And he said, you can have this horse. I'll give it to you. And General Lee said, no, I, don't, I, I won't take it, but if you're willing to sell it to me, I'll sell it to you, or I'll buy it from you, rather. And so he told General Lee, he said, well, I'll, I'll sell it to you for $175. That's what I paid for the horse. And General Lee gave him 200 And the reason he gave him $200 is because of depreciation, and he thought it was only fair that if he bought the horse for 175 if he sold it, then he should make a little money off of it. So General Lee, willingly, without the man asking, gave him an extra $25 for the horse. I thought of that. Such a great, humble spirit when it says that the keeping the commandments should cost us something. Um, this is why, why David bought the threshing floor. Somebody offered it to him and he said, I won't give to God something that costs me nothing. Um, it says here, a person, number 15, a person should strive to keep the commandments as part of a group where all of them have a portion in it. Number 16, money used to keep the commandment should not be money that came from an, 
from a forbidden from a forbidden manner. And number 17, one should strive to keep the commandments with great honor and not in a derogatory fashion. He should look at it as as it is, which is a service to God, and he should do so with great awe. End of our Aliyah today. Shabbat Shalom to all of you. Have a wonderful, amazing, and great Sabbath. I look forward to seeing everybody in the synagogue. Be sure and sign those Hold Harmless waivers uh, <laughs> and send them in. Uh, Baruch Hashem. Have a great day, everybody. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Uh, Shabbat Shalom. Enjoy the music tonight.